Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and then follow it with a YouTube video every Thursday as well and you are not going to want to miss it. Now, as you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are talking about the case of Heather Elvis. And this is one of those cases where I had heard about this case a lot within the past couple years. And it's always one of those cases where I thought I heard so much about it that I thought I knew everything about it, if that makes sense. However, after looking into it and realizing how detailed this case is and how many unanswered questions there still are, I thought it would be the perfect case to talk about this week. And along with that, like I said, there still are so many unanswered questions with Heather's case, and I'm really interested to see what you guys have to say about it and what your theories are as well. So with that being said, let's jump right on into it today. So Heather Elvis was born on June 30th, 1993 to her parents, Debbie and Terry Elvis. She was the oldest of her siblings and grew up in Horry County, South Carolina. Heather graduated from St. James High School in 2011 and had always been a very independent girl. So after graduating high school, she had many talks with her parents and was actually able to convince them to let her move out and live on her own in an apartment. Heather ended up moving into an apartment located in Carolina Forest, which actually isn't that far from Myrtle Beach. Myrtle Beach is a really fun area. There's lots of beaches, obviously, hence the name. Lots of activities such as golf and tennis, and it's also a very touristy city. It's a hot spot for spring breaks and summer vacations. And so it was a constant party there always. And Heather really loved that part of it. Heather was described by her loved ones as someone who was, like I said, very independent. She was very spunky. She marched to the beat of her own drum. She was a firecracker. She did what she wanted to do when she wanted to do it. And she was a free spirit who wanted to live life to the fullest. She was one of those people that everyone was drawn to because if you were with Heather, no matter what you were doing, you were going to have a good time because she was always, like I said, living life to the fullest and making the most out of every situation. And she also had lots of hobbies. She was incredibly artistic. She loved makeup and photography and fashion, and she was very creative. Now, when Heather moved to Carolina Forest, she ended up getting a job at a place called the Tilted Kilt in Myrtle Beach. Now, if you've never heard of the Tilted Kilt, the Tilted Kilt is essentially its own version of Hooters. It's actually described as the Irish Scottish version of Hooters. At Hooters, they wear the short shorts and the Hooters tank tops, but at Tilted Kilt, they wear kilts, these tiny little kilts and these little white tops. And it's a sports bar. I think you get the vibe. 
So Heather worked there as a hostess and she loved her job and she was also loved by all of her other co-workers. She got along really well with other girls. She was an incredibly hard worker and she loved being in that fast-paced, fun, social work environment. So this case begins on the early morning hours of December 18th, 2013 in an area called Peach Tree landing. Now, Peachtree Landing was about 20 minutes from Myrtle Beach, and it's known as a very pretty park. Now, at around 4.15 a.m. on December 18th, there was a police officer who was just doing his routine drive, and he stumbled across a car, an empty car, in the middle of the parking lot at Peachtree Landing. Now, considering the time of night, the officer decided to get out of his own patrol car and walk over to the car in the parking lot to see what was going on, and he noticed that no one was in the car. There was a lot of stuff in the car, but no one was actually in it, and he couldn't see anyone in the surrounding area, so he just knocked it off to Someone had parked their car there and he got back in his vehicle and drove off. Now that same day, December 18th, later on in the morning, police got another call in regards to the same car at Peachtree Landing. And the reason it was called in was because it had been there for several hours and it was vacant and it just seemed a little suspicious. So police then head back over to Peachtree Landing to check out this car again. And this time when they found the car, they ended up running the tags on the car and noticed that the car was registered to Heather's father, Terry Elvis. So now that they figured out who the car is registered to, they ended up going to the Elvis home. So where Terry, Debbie, and Heather's other sister lived. Now, Debbie was the one who actually answered the door. And when she did, police had asked her if her or her husband were missing a car, to which they looked at each other kind of confused and told the officers that they both had their cars, they weren't missing a vehicle. However, police then described to Debbie and Terry that it was a green Dodge car. And that is when Terry and Debbie realized that the police were talking about Heather's car. Now, even though Heather's car was registered in her dad's name, it was legally her dad's vehicle, Terry and Debbie had given Heather the car. After realizing that it was Heather's car that they were talking about, police had told Heather's parents that the car was at Peachtree Landing, pretty much abandoned there. And Terry ended up having spare keys to the car. So him and the officer ended up driving down to Peachtree together to check out the car himself. Now, after finding the car, Terry immediately knew that something was wrong. He knew that this car was Heather's only means of transportation, and both Debbie and Heather's sister were calling her phone, and it was going straight to voicemail, which was very unusual for her. Terry was able to open the car with the spare key, and while there were a lot of items in there, like her clothes, her shoes, makeup, things like that, they were not able to find Heather's cell phone or her wallet and they also were not able to find Heather. And so because of this, Heather was officially declared a missing person. So now that Heather was officially declared a missing person, the first thing police wanted to do was to basically retrace Heather's steps. They wanted to go back to the day before she went missing and talk to her family and friends and also look into her phone records to see if they could piece together a timeline of what happened leading up until 
she went missing. Now, when they did that, they were able to tell that on the night of December 17th, so just hours before Heather went missing, Heather actually went on a first date with a guy named Stephen Schiraldi. Now, Stephen was one year older than Heather. Heather was 20 years old. Stephen was 21 years old. And the two of them actually went to the same high school together. However, they didn't reconnect until basically right up before their first date and they reconnected through Instagram. Now, the date itself included Stephen picking Heather up from her apartment. The two then went to dinner at a place called Bandito's. And after dinner, they went to an empty parking lot because Stephen actually drove a stick shift truck and Heather wanted to learn how to drive it. So they went to this empty parking lot together. Heather was driving Stephen's truck. And while she was driving it, she actually had Stephen take a picture of her driving it so she could send it to her dad, which she did. It was kind of an inside joke between her and her dad because Terry was trying to teach Heather how to drive stick shift. So that's why she sent him that. Now, after the date, the two of them went back to Stephen's house where they just hung out and watched a movie. And Stephen's mom, who was also there at the time, was able to cooperate on this story. So they watched a movie for a little bit and then Stephen drove Heather back to her apartment and then made his way back home. So now that police had a timeline of what Heather's night looked like in the hours leading up to her going missing, they still had a good chunk of time where they couldn't account Heather for. They didn't know how she ended up at her apartment and then several hours later, her car ended up at Peachtree Landing. So that was the missing puzzle piece that they were trying to put together. So the next thing that police decided to do was they decided to go to Tilted Kilt and wanted to see if Heather had gone into work that day or if she had missed. Now, when police arrived, they were informed by the manager that Heather actually wasn't scheduled to work until the following day. However, the manager also told authorities that they should talk to a man named Sidney Morer. The manager really didn't give much information after that, simply that they should just talk to him. So the police's next question, which is also probably your next question, is who is Sidney Morer? Sidney Morer is a man who worked as a maintenance repairman in multiple restaurants throughout Myrtle Beach, one of them being the Tilted Kilt, and that is where him and Sidney met. Now, Heather was really attached to Sydney right from the get-go. She was very into him. He was a good-looking guy. He seemed to be a hard worker. And Heather liked older guys. And Sydney definitely fit that criteria. Like I said, Heather at the time was 20 years old and Sydney was actually 37 years old. So a good 17-year age gap. But this did not matter to Heather whatsoever. She did not care about his age. Like I said, she was into the older guys. So the two of them start talking, they start flirting, and that turns into them having a purely sexual relationship. And this was right before the summer of 2013 where this rendezvous began. It was said that Heather and Sydney could not keep their hands off of one another. Whenever they had the opportunity to get together, they would. They would do it wherever, whenever. They did not care. And they certainly were not keeping it 
a secret. Everyone knew about this relationship and when talked about it, a lot of people had different opinions on what the title of this relationship was. Some say that it was purely sexual, while others say that this was actually a very established relationship and that the two of them were in love. But despite the title of this relationship, there was one big problem and that would be that Sydney was actually a married man and Sydney was married to a woman named Tammy. So Tammy and Sydney, the two of them met in 1997 and then they ended up getting married in 1998. And throughout their marriage, they had three children together. So Tammy is four years older than Sydney. So at the time all of this was going down, when Sydney was 37 years old, Tammy was 41 years old. Now people who knew Tammy and Sydney personally and the people who were able to witness their relationship definitely said that Tammy was more of the ringleader in the relationship. She was more of the dominant one. She was the one who called the shots in their relationship. And I think that that is a very nice way to just say that Tammy was extremely controlling over Sydney. Tammy was the one telling Sydney who he could and could not be friends with and where he could and could not work. And this controlling behavior was said to have derived from the first affair that Sydney had. So Heather was not the first affair that Sydney had had. It was actually a woman before Heather. And when Tammy found out about this affair, it was said that she got incredibly controlling in order to try and regain her trust back with Sydney and repair their marriage. Now, like I said, Heather and Sydney's emotional and physical relationship didn't begin until right before summer of 2013. However, Tammy did not find out until October of 2013. And when Tammy found out that her husband was having another affair, she was furious. And she decided that she was going to confront Heather. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's instant alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
So Tammy was able to get Heather's phone number from Sydney's phone. And once she did that, she called Heather to let her know firsthand that she knew about the affair that Heather was having with her husband and that she wanted it to stop. But not only that, when Heather was on the phone with Tammy, when this phone call was happening, Tammy had Sydney sitting right next to her. And when this phone call was going on, Tammy gave the phone to Sydney, and Sydney then told Heather that he had absolutely no feelings for Heather whatsoever, that it was simply just physical, and that she was quote unquote, just some girl who spread her legs for him. Now, as you can imagine, for Heather, who allegedly had all of these deeper feelings, it was definitely more than just physical for her. Hearing that is devastating. I think hearing that from anyone who you have feelings for is devastating. And she was 20 years old. Sydney was this older man. And even though the relationship itself wasn't morally right, Heather definitely got herself caught up into it. And she gained these feelings for Sydney. So she was really, really crushed by this, but this was not the end, especially not for Tammy. Tammy really took it upon herself to make Heather's life a living hell after this. She would harass Heather by calling her cell phone, calling her at work, sending her multiple text messages saying that she was going to beat Heather up or simply just threatening her. If Heather wasn't answering from Tammy's phone, Tammy would then call Heather from Sydney's phone to try and see if Heather would answer that way. And Tammy even went as far as sending Heather pictures and videos of Sydney and Tammy being intimate together. So at this point, Tammy was really just terrorizing Heather and Heather would tell her friends and her coworkers that she was terrified of Tammy. She really thought that Tammy was borderline obsessed with her and thought that Tammy was really capable of harming her. However, on the other hand of that, Heather would sometimes get so fed up with the constant harassment, the text messages, the phone calls, that sometimes she would just reply back to Tammy. For example, Heather would say something like, why are you so obsessed with me? Or please stop talking to me or leave me alone. And that would really only push Tammy's buttons more. So similarly to what happened when Tammy found out about the first affair that Sydney had had, after finding out about the affair that he had with Heather, Tammy decided that her and Sydney really needed some one-on-one -on -one time to get their relationship back on track. So the two of them ended up booking a trip to California and they also bought a new black Ford F-150 truck. This trip that they took was a road trip and they were gone for three whole weeks. And when Heather heard that Sydney was gone with Tammy trying to reconcile their relationship, she was heartbroken. However, by early December, Heather really seemed like she was back to her old self. There was no communication between her and Sydney or her and Tammy at that point anymore, and she was back to living her normal life. However, even though Heather was over everything at that point, Tammy certainly was not. Once they returned from California, Tammy enforced some very strict house rules on Sydney to ensure that not only did he never have another affair with Heather again, but really just to make sure that he never had an affair with 
anyone again. One of those house rules was every night before they went to sleep, Tammy would handcuff Sydney to their bed. She also changed his phone password, his phone password, to a password that only she knew, so that whenever he wanted to get into his phone, he basically had to ask her for permission to use it. And Sydney also was not allowed to leave the house without Tammy or without the permission of Tammy. And you might be sitting there wondering why on earth is Sydney putting up with all of this and why does he not just leave? But he was really focused on saving their marriage. So now let's fast forward again to the days after December 18th. Because once police are told about Sydney Moore and told to look into who he is, they then learn everything that I just told you. So now we're back to the time of the investigation. And by December 20th, so two days after Heather was reported missing, police ended up going to Sydney's house and knocking on his door and attempted to talk to him. They arrived at his house at 2 a.m. asking when he had last heard from Heather, which is when he said he heard from her last night or the night before, which would fall into the time frame that she went missing. Sydney also said that while there was a past relationship with Heather, there is no current relationship with Heather. And when police had asked him if he had been at Peachtree Landing at the time that Heather was, he said no. So at this point, police decided to look back into Heather's cell phone records. And when they did that, they realized that Heather received a phone call from a pay phone at 1.35 a.m. on December 18th. So just several hours before her car was discovered. That initial phone call with the person using the payphone was fairly brief. However, Heather then called that payphone back a total of nine times. Now, when police saw that and saw that Heather had called back nine times, they knew that this was someone that Heather wanted to get a hold of. They knew that it was someone that Heather wanted to talk to, and it had to be someone that she knew. Now, police were actually able to track down this specific payphone, and when they did that, they saw that there was a surveillance camera that pointed to it, and luckily, this surveillance camera was working. Police were able to obtain the surveillance footage and while it was too grainy to make out, they were able to see a figure walking up to the phone during the time that it was being used to call Heather, which of course doesn't give too many answers considering someone had to obviously be using the payphone at the time that it was used to call Heather. However, what they could tell from just looking at it was that it was a larger figure. Now at this point, police decide that they need to bring Sydney back in for more questioning. And what they find out when they bring him back in is shocking. And we are going to jump right on into it after a word from our sponsors. So police bring Sydney back in for questioning. And when they do, they ask him to recount his night of December 17th. And according to Sydney, he said that him and Tammy were out running errands together. And one of those errands included going to the Walmart in Myrtle Beach. Now, police really had no time to waste on this and they cut to the chase. And they asked him if he had used a payphone that night. And Sydney denied using the payphone. He said that he did not use it. However, when he was asked a second time if he used the payphone, his answer changed. 
This time he said, maybe. Now, at this point, police were pretty much fed up with the games and they didn't like the back and forth and they didn't like the changing of answers. And they told Sydney that it was time to really start telling them what was going on. And this is when Sydney told police that he did call Heather from a payphone, but when he called Heather, the purpose of this phone call is that he asked Heather to leave him alone. However, Heather's roommate painted a very different picture of this phone call. Now, at the time that this was all going on, Heather's roommate was actually on winter break, so she was not at the apartment with Heather. However, after Heather received the phone call from Sydney, Heather then called her roommate Brianna and told her that Sydney had called. Heather also said that Sydney told her that he left Tammy. He said that he left his wife and wanted to be back with Heather again. And at this point, Heather was just basically turning to her best friend and saying, what do I do in this situation? And just looking for advice. And Brianna said that she advised Heather to not jump back into things, not to go meet up with him that night and to really just sleep on it and that she could make a better, more logical decision in the morning. And when they got off the phone that night, Brianna said that she was fairly certain that that was what the plan was going to be. She was confident in the fact that Heather was not going to go see Sydney that night. Now, while all of this is going on, while this investigation is happening, there is a massive search for Heather. There were hundreds of volunteers, hundreds of missing persons flyers, all of it. The press was all over this case and it did get a large amount of media coverage. But while the community was really gathering together to look for Heather, Tammy and Sydney did everything they could to tear down and basically bully people who were out searching for her. And to make matters worse, Tammy then went to social media and she started making Facebook posts, one of which said, quote, Sydney cheated on me in the months of September and October with a psycho whore who has since went missing and now her crazy daddy is threatening to kill my children and Sydney, therefore making Sydney stupid. This girl grabbed his business card out of the office at her workplace and had fantasies about him as far back as March, but talked about it in July, naming him. I don't know of any other word to describe my husband at this point. All you have to do is research this girl's Twitter and Tumblr to see what a twisted person she truly is. I could care less seeing that I had a boyfriend of my own for the past couple years, but when someone brings my children into the scenario, it's a whole other story. I will not tolerate anyone hurting my children because my husband banged a hoe three times in the back seat of her car and nothing more. I could care less what he screwed around with, but the fact that this jerk is stalking my family is unacceptable end quote so there is a lot to unpack there not only did tammy openly admit that she herself has been having an affair for years which if that's true and if that's the case then there's so much more that we can go into there but we're not even going to address that at the moment but there is clearly a lot of bullying towards heather calling her a psycho whore saying she's a twisted person and listen i am not here to praise the girl 
who had an affair with a married man. However, I will say at this point, from what we're seeing, seeing the investigation and then seeing Tammy's anger and her almost pushback against it, at this point, for a lack of a better phrase, it really is just seeming like she's kicking a dead horse at this point. Now, when looking back at the cell phone records of Heather, police were able to figure out that after she attempted to call back the payphone nine times and didn't get an answer, Heather then called Sydney directly. She called him several times before he finally answered, and they spoke between the minutes of 3.17 a.m. and 3.21 a.m. Now, at that point, police were able to trace Heather's phone and track it to Peachtree landing where her car would eventually be found. Once she got to the landing, she began calling Sydney again from 3.37 to 3.40. So she called him another four times. Now, police were also able to look at surveillance footage from home security cameras near Peachtree Landing. And when they did that, they were able to identify a black F-150 going in the direction of Peachtree at 3.43 a.m., then at 3.45 a.m., they see that exact same F-150 going back into the direction of where Sydney and Tammy live. So they see the truck going to Peachtree and then leaving Peachtree all within the time frame of about two minutes, maybe even a little less. However, what police then realized through looking at Heather's cell phone records is that Heather's phone was either turned off or died right before 3.45 a.m. So this is all happening. The truck is seen going there, the truck is seen leaving, and in that time frame, Heather's phone is either turned off or died. And if you look at that time frame, that really is insane that everything could have happened so quickly. Police have theorized that if Sydney and Tammy met Heather at Peachtree Landing, they would really only have a little over a minute to do whatever they did to Heather before getting back in their car and heading home. So is a little over a minute really enough to make Heather disappear? Now, police were able to get a warrant to search Tammy and Sydney's car, and when they did that, they found that their new truck actually had a GPS tracker in it. However, the GPS tracker was removable, and surely enough, police were able to discover that only on the early morning hours of December 18th was that GPS removed, and then the following day, on the 19th, it was placed back into the car. So with all of this evidence, as you can imagine, the police had enough to make an arrest and Sydney and Tammy Moorer were arrested on February 21st, 2014. So a little over two months after Heather's disappearance. Tammy and Sydney were both charged with murder, kidnapping, obstruction of justice, and two counts of indecent exposure. And the indecent exposure charges came from photos that were found on both Tammy and Sydney's phone of them exposing themselves in public places. Now, both Tammy and Sydney spent about 11 months in jail, and then in early 2015, they were actually freed after Tammy's mother exchanged her own house for them to be bailed out. So it was basically a trade-off. She traded in her house for Tammy and Sydney's release. 
And at the bond hearing, prosecutors stated that they still have no direct evidence that linked Sydney and Tammy to Heather's disappearance. So they ended up getting released and they did have ankle monitors and they were ordered to stay five miles away from Heather's family and to not talk about the case on social media. And believe it or not, the courts actually allowed Tammy and Sydney to move to Florida. So to pack up their things, move to Florida, and that's where Sydney got a job and they really just started a new chapter and started all over again, which I found to be very insane. I don't think we've seen a case where the courts have quite literally just allowed two people who were basically at the center point of this investigation to pack up their things after being in jail and just move to a new state and start a new life. So then we move on to March of 2016, and this is when the prosecution actually dropped the murder charges against Sydney and Tammy with the caveat that the prosecution could charge them for it again if they decided to do so. And the indecent exposure charges were dropped as well. So for a lot of people, it seemed like this case was moving backwards because a lot of people were expecting Sydney and Tammy to get that murder charge. However, the prosecution defended their decision by saying that they dropped the charges in hopes to further the investigation and the trials on the already outstanding charges that they did have, and ultimately in hopes to gain more information and more answers as to what happened to Heather. So let's talk about the trials that did take place. So the first was in June of 2016, and it was in relation to whether or not Sydney had kidnapped Heather. Now, co-workers and friends of Heather's had testified in this trial, and they attested to the relationship and the affair that Sydney and Heather were having. However, they also dropped another bombshell as well. Some of the co-workers took the stand and said that Heather had thought that she was pregnant. Now, as you can imagine, this was a complete bombshell for everyone to hear, and it definitely opened up a lot of doors in terms of motive, because if Sydney or Sydney and Tammy found out that Heather was pregnant, that could absolutely be a motive for them then wanting to hurt her. Now, after the trial was over and after seven hours of deliberation, the jury was actually not able to come to a verdict on this kidnapping charge. 10 of the jurors wanted to convict Sydney of kidnapping. However, the remaining two did not. So this resulted in a mistrial. Now, the next trial that we have is the obstruction of justice trial. And this one involved Sydney and his initial lie about not using the payphone when he ultimately did. Now, in this trial, Tammy's cousin had taken the stand and testified and said that after Heather's disappearance, Sydney had actually shown Tammy's cousin a picture of Heather's dead body on his phone. The cousin said that they were immediately able to tell that Heather had passed away in this picture. They immediately were able to see the blood on her shirt and the scratches on her face. So hearing Tammy's cousin say this in court when he was testifying obviously was a huge, huge bombshell because what this means is that there is a potential piece allegedly of physical evidence that could prove that Sydney was responsible for this. However, police have never been able to find this picture. However, regardless, after three days of this trial, Sydney was convicted of obstruction of justice and sentenced to 10 years in prison. 
Now, in April of 2018, both Sydney and Tammy were charged with a single count of conspiracy to kidnap. And in October of 2018, Tammy went on trial for kidnapping. Now, in the trial, the Facebook posts that Tammy had made about Heather were brought up, and the prosecution brought Sydney's mother to testify. Now, Sydney's mother had testified that in the days after learning about the affair that Sydney had had with Heather, that Tammy was extremely physically abusive towards Sydney. And the prosecution also talked about Tammy's affair because she made that very well known in her Facebook posts. And this is when Tammy decided to say that her and Sydney actually have an open marriage. She also claimed that her and Heather had patched up their relationship after talking several times on the phone after Tammy had learned, which really just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Things don't add up when Tammy is now saying that her and Sydney have an open marriage. This is something that Sydney probably would have brought up before. And this was the first time that anyone had ever heard that. And so everyone really had a hard time believing that to be the case. Now, according to Tammy, she said that on the night of Heather's disappearance, herself and Sydney had gone out and run some errands together, and that the reason they went to Walmart is that they went to pick up a pregnancy test because the two of them were trying to have another baby. She said that the two of them got home at around 3.10 a.m. and that she didn't go to sleep right away. She ended up staying awake and cleaning the house a little bit because they had been gone for three weeks and there were just a lot of little housekeeping things around the house that she wanted to get done. Tammy claimed that shortly after her and Sydney got home that Sydney actually did receive a phone call from Heather. However, he did not answer the call and he never left the house that night. Now, cell phone records for Tammy were also brought up in this trial, and it showed that at 4.37 a.m. on December 18th, Tammy had sent Sydney a text saying the pot stickers and orange juice, to which Sydney immediately replied, yes, ma'am. Now, there really has never been any explanation as to what this text meant because like Tammy had just said, Sydney never left the house that night. So why was she texting him about pot stickers and orange juice at 4.37 a.m. if he never left the house? Now the defense argued that it would be nearly impossible for Tammy herself to have made Heather disappear with out a trace in the matter of 55 minutes. And those 55 minutes are from Heather's cell phone turning off at around 3.45, all the way up to Tammy texting Sydney about the orange juice and pot stickers. Which I know that this is probably a stretch to say, but is it possible that that was just a code word? Again, I know it's probably a stretch, just a thought that crossed my mind. Now, after an 11-day trial and hours of deliberation, Tammy was convicted of both charges of kidnapping and conspiracy to kidnap and was sentenced to 30 years for both of those charges. And in September of 2019, Sydney was also found guilty of kidnapping Heather and was sentenced to an additional 30 years. And as of 2019, he is in the South Carolina's Lee Correctional Institution and Tammy is also incarcerated. So that is the case of Heather 
Elvis. There is a lot of moving parts here. There is a lot of detail here. I know sometimes it's hard to keep track of everything, especially when it gets down to phone records and timing and all of those things. So hopefully it was somewhat easy to follow along. I tried my best to make it as simple as possible. Now, my personal opinion on this is I do believe that Heather and Sydney worked together to make Heather disappear. I don't have a theory as to how they did it. However, my gut tells me that Sydney and Tammy are responsible for Heather's disappearance. And I know I'm not alone when I say that. I know pretty much the majority of people also believe that. I think it's very possible that Heather could have disclosed to Sydney that she was pregnant or thought that she was pregnant. But I also think it's possible that Heather didn't think that she was pregnant. And I think it's possible that Tammy and Sydney could have conspired about this on their three-week trip while they were away. And once they came back, they decided to follow through with it. I know I'm not the only one who doesn't believe Sydney for a second when he says that when he talked to Heather on the phone, he said that he asked her to leave her alone and not to talk to her anymore. That quite simply makes no sense. And quite honestly, this is just a really devastating case and it still has a lot more questions than it does answers. Heather has still not been found to this day. We do not know where she is or what happened to her and she deserves justice. Regardless of the decisions that were made, Heather is human and everyone makes bad decisions. Everyone makes mistakes and no one deserves to have their life taken away because they had an affair. And we see these types of love triangle cases quite frequently and it just baffles me every single time how everyone just assumes that murder is the right way to go about these things. And so I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to say and what your theories are on this. Again, I believe wholeheartedly that Sydney and Tammy were responsible for Heather's disappearance. Do I think it's possible that Heather met Sydney at Peachtree Landing and Tammy also was there and they ambushed her? Yes. Do I think it's possible that they were able to restrain her and put her into their trunk and drive away? Yes. Do I think it's possible that they could have shot her? put her in the trunk and driven away. Yes, however, I do believe that someone would have heard that and there were no reports of any gunshots at that time. Could they have physically attacked her another way to try and restrain her? Yes. However, the big question here is where is Heather? And that is still the unanswered one. And I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to say about it. But with that being said, you guys, it's going to be all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and then again every Thursday on YouTube as well. You're not going to want to miss it. I'll be back next week with a brand new case for you guys. And until then, stay safe. Bye guys.